Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hey, gang. Mike and Mark with you once again. And today we're headed to South Beach by way of New York and LA. We have Marlins manager Don Mattingly with us. A guy, Mark, you got to know during your time with the Dodgers. Yeah, you know what's interesting, Mike? I had him as a hitting coach, then got up into the front office where I, I watched his first opportunity to manage the Los Angeles Dodgers. But I, I want to bring bring you back because I grew up in Boston and I wasn't a Red Sox fan. I was just a fan of the game. And why I say that is that individual players really impacted me. And Don Mattingly was one of those left-handed hitters. I was a lefty hitter myself. But Don Mattingly, George Brett, uh, Wade Boggs, those type of hitters I absolutely love because they, they just did it. And it looked easy. I know it wasn't, but it really was. It came down to uh, being around Don Mattingly was one of the luxuries I had in my career. Well, Don, thanks so much for spending some time with us. We appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Uh, yeah, when 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 Mark's talking, I hear Don Mattingly. That's how kids talk to you. It's like, hey, Don Mattingly. <laughs> It's all one word, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, as Mark would say, you know, you were you're a Yankee legend. You were an MVP. I think every fan clearly knows that. But I think what a lot of people don't know anything about it is what it was like at your major league beginning. The moment you found out you were getting called up in 1982, how'd you find out, and and what happened from there? Uh, yeah, I got called up uh, out of AAA. We were in the playoffs, and. Um, you know, there really was no advanced notice or anything. We got beat that night in the final game. Uh, Ron Darlin actually beat us. Um, and then after the game, they called me into the office to let me know that I would got called up. Uh, and obviously, that is a realization of a dream. And, I, and when I talk to people, I actually talk about, they say, you're like, favorite memory. It wasn't necessarily that, that conversation. But walking into Yankee Stadium and down that tunnel, you know, that's something that I don't think you ever forget as a player because, you know, you I come from a pretty small town in Indiana, and, you know, you, you think about playing the big leagues, it's a dream. But that's kind of actually the realization that you're going to the big leagues and that you've made it. Obviously, after you've kind of got that call up and, and, and are there, you want to start showing what you can do. Donnie, when you got that, when you first in, got informed in a, a AAA and you got that message, it's really that internal uh, excitement that you had. But also, who did you call? Who, who was that first call to and who was at your first game? Uh, you know, my, my wife at the time was there and, and her parents, so everybody was there, but it's almost like you got to go. And uh, I called my parents the next day uh, to let them know we, we had a night game. So I know my mom and dad weren't going to be awake. Uh, so I, I called them in the morning. Uh, and me and a buddy, Kirk Kaufman, guy that actually got called up, ended up, got traded to the Angels. But we drove up. We left the next morning uh, without, for me, having any idea what that was going to be like uh, once we got there. Um, so it was Obviously, it was it was a cool feeling uh, driving into the city and coming across George Washington Bridge, uh, heading for Yankee Stadium. Um, it's just you know a lot of a lot of fear in there too, right? You don't know anything about what's going to happen, where you're going to stay, 
you know, a lot of little fears that people don't realize that you have, um, you know, how do I get to the ballpark? All these little things. And they've done a better job nowadays, organizations of bringing like a group of players in to work out for a few days, take them around the city, show them the locker room. Those are all fears for guys uh, that you don't realize once you get past that, the next time you walk in, it's like a lot more comfortable. Yeah, but Don, you're not exactly walking into Nowheresville anymore, right? I mean, you're walking into the Big Apple, and that team is intimidating on the outside as a fan looking in. I mean, Willie Randolph, Greg Nettles, Dave Winfield, Lou Pinella, uh, Ron Guidry. You're 21 years old. What was it like? What was the reception like when you walk in that clubhouse? Uh, I don't remember that part too much. I think I was – pretty nervous. And, and luckily I'd been to camp that year. Uh, you know, so I, I actually kind of knew the guys, you know, you're there and for, a, for a little bit, you know, you know, you're not making the club that year uh, when you go into camp. So I kind of knew some guys, but I, I didn't, I, you know, they, they knew me a little bit, but they, but they didn't. And uh, the greatest thing, like you said, that, that group of players and I mean, Gossi, like you said, Gossi, Nettles, Mercer, gamble i mean it goes on and there's a a list of guys and it you know they treated me great and i think in those days right i hate to go back into those days uh you know you came in and you you kept your mouth shut and and if you kind of earned some respect you know then they're going to take care of you and that's what happened with me it was goose uh, his wife actually uh him and his wife really took care of me and my wife at the time, uh, you know, took us out to dinner and, and pick her up and, and, you know, bring her to the game and things like that. So a lot of those little fears, but those guys, you had to earn the respect of, of guys. And usually you did that by keeping your mouth shut, going to work. Um, and then they would kind of gradually want to help you out. Donnie, when you go into the locker room for the first time, you're at Yankee Stadium. I mean, all those emotions and putting a major league uniform on is special, but also putting on a Yankees uniform, I think there is a difference. Can you explain that, how it was when you first put the, that uniform on? Because there's a big difference with the minor league uniform to the big leagues. But what was that like for you? You know, luckily I went to camp, Mark, and so that helped me a little bit. And I really wasn't. Um, Honestly, I think I was naive enough and I, I came from a place that there really wasn't pro sports. So I didn't know a ton about the Yankees. Obviously, I learned a lot more, uh, knew a little bit of the history of just those guys that were there at the time. Um, but I think just, you know, looking back, you're just so excited to be there and to be in the big league. So everything's going fast at that point from the standpoint of everything that you're seeing, the locker. Just just everything is flying, right? But it's all about that dream, right? That you've kind of you've reached that place where you, you want to be. September eighth, nineteen eighty-two, you make your debut against the Orioles. Family there, what was the atmosphere like when you look up and you go, Wow, this is not a triple A stadium at all? <laughs> well, that first game, you know, we, we drive from Columbus, we, we pull in the parking lot, you get dressed. And when you come out of the tunnel at the old Yankee Stadium, it's, it's fairly similar now. What you see is that left field corner and that 
hook of the stadium and that triple deck. And it's just, and you know, you're, and you're kind of in this concrete area. And then you walk out, you kind of come through that tunnel and you look out and it's like, wow, it's like this grass field, just beautiful place. You've been playing in, you know, Columbus and in all kinds of stadiums that are smaller coming through the minor leagues. And to come into this place was like, you know, it was just such a great feeling. And that picture is so vivid in my mind of seeing the stadium coming around that corner uh, when you come out in that corner, because I was an outfielder at the time, where right? I was pretty much an outfielder, and knowing left field was kind of where I played, and that was right where I was looking when you come out. So, again, it's just a, it's just etched in your mind, and even at my old age here, I still, uh, you know, get excited about that. Donnie, uh, take us into that at bat uh, when you get your first hit and what that felt like uh, for you, because that's something that I think every player always remembers. Yeah. I mean, it was one of those hits that you get, you know, you wish you had hit a bullet somewhere, but I roll (laughs) a ball in the hole. And nowadays if they had to shift on it, it sucked it up. But um, it was basically, and I can't remember, I I cannot remember the guy's name. I think it was Brown. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I faced him in AAA. So I was fairly comfortable. He'd been using Paul Tuckett. Uh, and I just roll a ball through the hole. Um, but that experience was incredible. That first, um, just being up in September for me was so valuable. I mean, just to be there and didn't play that much. Uh, watch, I think I got 12 at bats in a month. Uh, we were playing teams that were in a pennant race. So you don't, you know, those days you didn't really play the young guys. We were playing, I think Baltimore, Milwaukee, and you're seeing Yount and all these guys and, in Baltimore with Eddie Murray and, and Rip and that team. So um, you didn't play much, but I learned so much from that first month. And all it, for me, it just etched in my mind that I can play here, even without the at-bats. I think I got two hits or something, maybe two hits, 12 at-bats or something. Um, but it, it, it told me that I've watched guys play and I see the pitching and I'm like, if I get my chance, I can play here. And it really, really helped me. All the little stuff, you know, that happened during that month was so valuable to me. The, the, the beauty of baseball is that when you come up and you're individualized and, yes, you're trying to compete, stay there in the big leagues, but there's also influences on the roster. Were there any veteran guys that took you under their wing and, and you felt more comfortable after that? There, there was a lot. And I, and I mentioned Goose, right? He, he was one. Willie Randolph was another. Uh, him and his wife uh, were also very good to us and made us comfortable and part of the part of the group. Uh, but all the guys, really, Rigetti was there at that time. Uh, you know, Mercer was good to me. Uh, Gator didn't talk much, right? Gidry was one of those guys that you don't. You really it took a while, maybe a couple of years, because he was really quiet. And you get the feeling I'm like, man, I don't think this dude likes me. Right. (laughs) He won't talk. He didn't talk much. So but but all those guys were really good. Oscar Gamble and his wife. uh, There were so many guys that were good to us. But but the guys that I really think about Goose, um, Goose, because of the, you know, the family side of it, the wife, Willie Randolph. uh, I knew Rags just a little bit from Instructional League. uh, But those kind of guys make you feel comfortable. You know, Don, when. Any fan takes a look at your career, you put together a string of years 
in the 80s. It really unparalleled at the time in the game. You make your first all-star team in 1984, the first of six. This one's a candlestick. So it's another first for you. You've established yourself clearly. Um, and you had a chance to, uh, I think, do a few things maybe you didn't even expect, including uh, seeing Goose Gossage in a different form in 84. What was that experience like for you in the all-star game? It was obviously a great experience making the all-star team. It was huge. And I remember talking to, I know you guys are in San Diego, talking to Tony Gwynn in the outfield. Uh, but, you know, during the workouts, uh, I'd seen Tony play. We played against each other uh, the year before in, uh, tr- in Puerto Rico in, in 83. And I was like, wow, this dude, what kind of this dude could really, really hit. He made it look so easy. You know, Mark said I made it look easy. I never felt that way. <laughs> I looked at Tony and go, man, this dude's making it look like it's nothing. Right. But um, it's funny you say Goose because obviously Goose had been traded to San Diego uh, the after the 83 season. Um, but we'd seen him. We'd kind of we were hanging out the night before, right before the game. And he says, hey, if I see you, I'm. I'm going after you first pitch heater. Here it comes. Right. So it's goose I face. Right. So I'm like. Dude, I take all the time first pitch, but I'm like, this one's coming. I'm coming out of my shoes. Uh, and when I miss that pitch, I'm like, damn it. Right? So now I got to mess with the slider. I don't know what I end up doing. Uh, but that was kind of cool, like, seeing, you know, hanging out the night before and then getting me at bat the next day. What was really cool in that game as well is you, uh, you had your first meeting with Rod Carew, who was a huge influence on you. Uh, t- speak to that relationship. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because he's a guy that another another first right getting to meet Rod, but he was a guy that I kind of patterned everything off of when I was young. And you you say the guys you watched, I watched a lot of guys, but there wasn't that much TV then. So Rod was a guy that won batting titles, used the whole field. I loved the way he played, and so he was kind of what I always patterned my my offense and the way I hit after. Uh, and I must have talked about it somewhere during that year, you know, the first half of the season. Uh, talked about Rod because right when I got there, he brought me a bat. And I think it's a continued success. Uh, you know, all my best, you know, Rod Carew just handed it to me. And I was just like taken back, right? And uh, to think of Rod Carew, you know, kind of thinks you can hit and, and, and did that for me. Obviously, he read something that he was my guy. You ever think of holding the bat the way he did? I remember the way he would like kind of tickle the handle. I'm like, how do you even hold that thing with enough authority to hit big league pitching? But every kid of that era used to emulate his batting style. Trust me, I tried all his styles. You know, he had a bunch of different looks, right? And I was the same. I was, I tinkered too much. Um, And, you know, a good Rod story. I remember getting on first base and, um, against the angels and Rod was playing first and it was against Candelaria. And I think I hit a loop or somebody made an error or something. Cause I know I didn't hit it hard against candy. And he asked me, he says like, what are you, what are you trying to do up there? You know, I, cause I'd probably, I think I opened up that at back. It's like candy was a guy that was tough to see, you know, he was long and he came from way, way down on the side. So he was hard to pick up. Uh, so I kind of opened up and tried something and he, cause he just asked me the question. I said, I, yeah, I opened up a little bit or whatever. And, you know, I couldn't, couldn't see this dude. And he didn't say much about that. Then later on, I read in his book that he was like, I knew this guy was going to hit because he was making adjustments and knew he was trying to make adjustments to a guy. 
Uh, and so that always made me feel good that, you know, you don't realize that at the time, right? He just asked a question, but in his mind, he was getting information. Donnie, I think the interesting aspect to a lot of listeners that, that really don't know what goes into it, but uh, choosing a bat is pretty important. Um, how did your thought process go into that? Did you change models or do you have a consistent model that you used through your career? I was pretty consistent once I found one. Uh, I ended up with the M110. Um, to, or I started off with the M110. And even in minor leagues, I don't think it was that. I think it was all kinds of different ones trying to get the right feel. You know, you come out of high school. I come out of high school and I'm going to Oneana and all, it's the first time I'd used a wood bat in a couple of years. And trying to find something that was comfortable is really, you know, kind of hard. Uh, once I found that M110, I liked that because it was more balanced. It was kind of a regular, it was kind of a balanced bat up and down. Uh, but I ended up shaving the handles all the time. And because it started, to me, it kept getting thicker. And I think maybe I was getting stronger. I was learning to pull the ball a little bit more. So the thinner handle felt better. I kept scraping it. And then finally, I ended up finding the T141, which was basically the M110 with a little thinner handle. So I didn't have to scrape every bat. Um, so then I ended up with the T1 and pretty much all the time after that. Uh, every once in a while, you're in a slump, you're feeling funky, you might pick up somebody's bat and try to use it. Um, but for the most part, it was a T1 the rest of the way. Offensively, you were a star, clearly. Defensively, Nine gold gloves, Don. So I'll I'll stay on that line. I see your bat model. How about your gloves? Some guys are awfully particular. One of us, uh, who will remain nameless, but whose name rhymes with Lark Keeney, uh, was really picky with his skillet. How about you? <laughs> I didn't know you had a skillet. Yeah, I know exactly. <laughs> no, I I started off with, uh, you know, anything they'll give you in the minor leagues because you don't have gloves. And I kind of got, you know, pushed to first base one year, which was good for me. It really was obviously my best position. Um, and I, I forgot what I was using, but I think I ended up with like a Mizuno one year. Uh, and I liked that a lot. And that's the one I end up, the model that I end up like tinkering after that. But when I got to the big leagues, uh, Franklin comes to me and wants to give me a glove contract. And so I'm like, I'm not changing gloves unless you can make this one exact. You give me one that feels just like this. I give them the glove. I said, I'll use them. Uh, and they did. I mean, they came back with it. Obviously, I don't know where they, they took it. They're probably in China somewhere, right? They're copying everything. Um, and they come back with a glove that felt exactly, exactly the same. So I end up signing with Franklin. That's what I end up using my whole career. Donnie, 84 to 89, as we touched on, six seasons. You're an all-star every year. You're the MVP of the league in 85. And then Detroit manager uh, Sparky Anderson says, you're the best in the game at that time. What was that run like, especially in that you're accomplishing it in New York City? It was actually, obviously, it was, it was a lot of fun, right? And it was happening fast. Uh, you know, my first full year that I'm playing, you, know, you win a batting title. Uh, and then after that, it was just kind of like, once you, you know, you, I ended up hitting, what I, I had 343, I think that year, but I hit some homers and I drove in a hundred and it was the first time I'd really hit homers. I, I never hit over, I think, uh, uh, I think more than eight in any C, any minor league season. Uh, in my first full year in New York, I had, I think I had 20 something. Uh, and I was like, man, I'm starting to have power. Um, 
so 84 from then on, it's like, as a player, you're like, I win the batting title, I have a great year, but then it's like, I'm going to go do it again. You know, people go, oh, they're going to figure you out, whatever. So now you're on a, you're on a roll to say, oh, I'll go show them again. Right. And then, so then 85 happens and then you just continue that. Right. That's the way I looked at it. I was looking forward because 84 wasn't going to help me in 85 other than confidence. Uh, and then after 85, I was like, man, just like, just keep getting better. That's what I was ingrained with. You know, some of the coaches early on, my high school coach was great at it. Keep getting better every day. If you think you're the best player in town, be the best player in the state. If you're the best player in the state, be the best player in the country. And that just stayed with me, right? So I, after 85, it's like, I'm going to go prove it again. 86, I'm going to go prove it again. So you just want to keep proving it, you know, over and over and try to add on to it. And that's what I tried to do. Uh, you know, then obviously hit some road, road, road bumps after that. Donnie, I think the amazing thing is that uh, when you're an elite player in that time frame, as Sparky talked about, you were that elite guy in the big leagues and you set that bar so high. How did you keep that edge? And was it knowledge from someone else or were you just so comfortable in your style that you were like, hey, man, I, I know I can compete. I know I can go out there and put up numbers. Yeah, once once 84 happens, and you know what? Honestly, I, I always hit, right? I mean, mm-hmm. from Little League on, I'm always hitting. Get to the minor leagues, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a low, not a, not a high draft pick at all, but I'm hitting in the minors all the way through, right? And so I believe I can hit anywhere. So when I hit in the big leagues – you don't really know that part, right? Because you don't know how good that league is until you get there. Uh, but when I have success there, then I just then it just takes off, right? And I just want to keep getting better. So it always goes back to just keep getting better. My confidence is there. I start hitting for more and more power. I'm getting stronger. Lou Pinella was a huge influence on teaching me how the swing works, taught me to use the bottom hand where I start getting backspin and the ball start going a long way. And, you know, for a for a little guy that never hit homers, all of a sudden, you know, hitting 30, hitting 30, you're like, you know, it's kind of fun, right? Hitting homers is kind of yeah. cool. Uh, and, it, and it allows you to do a couple of things. Because early on, I was like, I remember telling Mickey Vernon, he goes, I go, Mickey, I don't care about homers. And he goes, ah, Donnie. He goes, don't, don't be so fast. He said, a homer can either put a game away or get you back in a game. And that made sense to me. So then I started to learn, like, there's times you take shots, right? We're down three or we're up three, and I got a couple of guys out there, and I can put this game away. I got a shot with a guy I know. You know, you hit a homer there, that game's over. Or you're down four, maybe five, and you hit a three-run homer, you're back in the game. So that, that resonated with me to don't be, you know, don't, don't shy away from hitting them, right? If you can do it, do it. We fast-forward through your career. And you're putting up numbers, but you're not going to the playoffs. And that eluded you at the time. We go to 1995. You make your first postseason uh, reaction when you knew you were going to the playoffs for that first time. Oh, incredible. I don't know if you guys have seen the video, but we're in Toronto. And it's a fight down to the last day. I think we win 26 out of 32 down the stretch to get in. And that's when I think Seattle and California end up tying or something like that. Some te- teams out West that end up tying, but we were fighting to the very end for that wild card spot. And, um, 
So when we won that day in Toronto, I remember pounding the turf because that's that kind of came a thing, right? For me in New York, it's like, oh, he's never been to the playoffs. It's been 2,000, however many games before you get to the playoffs. And in baseball, you don't really control. It's not like basketball. One guy just totally changes the, the landscape in basketball. But in baseball, you need a lot of guys. You need a lot of good players. And, um, and in those days, there was only one division winner, right? There was, not, there was no wild card. So to win the East, you had, you know, at that time, I think it was Milwaukee, Baltimore, Detroit, uh, us, Toronto. And it seemed like every year somebody was really good. You know, Baltimore was really good there. Milwaukee was really good. Detroit goes 35-5 and five to jump out the gate. Um, you know, so each year, you got to go in a division. Boston's good. So it's like, it was hard to get in. We win 98 games, I think, in 85, and we don't make the playoffs. I think we have the second-best record in baseball. We don't make it. And, like, Kansas City ends up winning it, right? They ended up winning it. We beat Kansas City, like, 12 out of 13. And while you're like, wow. man, this is not fair, Stings. right? But making that playoff was something for me. I knew I was at the end of my career. I knew I was going to probably retire. Um, and to be able to get into the playoffs, because as a player, you want to see how you're going to react. How am I going to be in the playoffs? Am I going to be able to handle it? Is it gonna, am I going to put too much pressure on myself? Or can I just keep it baseball? And um, so that was something I really wanted to, to be involved with. Don, when you look back at your 14 years in New York, I, I guess since you just finished with the playoffs, that might be it. But if I asked you your most memorable Yankee moment, was it eight straight games with a homer in 87, six grand slams that year, an MVP, all-encompassing thought, what's your signature Yankee moment? Well, I don't know about signature, but for me, it's walking down that tunnel when you got called up and looking out the very first time because it's the realization of a dream. And you mentioned some things that happened that were great in my career, and I, you know, obviously love that. Um, but the moment that's kind of, you know, seared in my mind is that that first walking in and seeing that stadium, and the other probably right behind it is when we made the playoffs, coming out to coming out to run right before the game. That first game, Yankee Stadium was crazy. They hadn't been in the playoffs in a while. That was the loudest I've ever seen it. It, it was incredible, and that's, that's another memory that you don't forget. I remember running, and I couldn't run, but I felt like I was flying that day coming right out of the dugout. Another moment, Donnie, is uh, your number retired. And uh, when people de- describe you, it's humility, and I, I, I think that is a, a great trait. And you're in front of all of these Yankee fans. You get your number retired, and you have to have a speech in front of it. How hard was that for you, but also that moment? Uh, for you individually? Obviously a great moment, um, humbling moment, right? And I was still young. I was 30, probably 34, 35, 36, right around there, you know? So I retired, uh, you know, like I think I, I think I was 34 when I retired. And so, like you said, I was still taken back by all that. You, you just look at those things and I seen the names out there. You see, man or guys I'd met and you know you've heard heard of Ruth and DiMaggio uh Reggie's out there just the names that are out there and to have your number retired in New York as a kid that comes out of you know Evansville Indiana and didn't have power couldn't run you know you know all, all the things I couldn't do 
and to end up out there is like it was really a humbling moment. Obviously, a special special day for me uh, and my family. Donnie, you have the ability to adjust after that retirement, and for a player that's put in all the work, you're trying to uh, replace some of that, and it's really hard to do. And a lot of guys go in, and you've seen the Yankees. They, they bring guys down to spring training and their special assistants, and, or they come to the field. They get in uniform, which is incredible. The other thing that happens is you decide to not only be a hitting coach, but your passion was to even get into that manager seat. S- speak to that next direction for you. Yeah, you know what? I, I think the, one of the best things I did after retiring was I spent five years at home. And didn't didn't go to spring training. I didn't do any of the, the you know guest instructor things uh, that the Yankees you know offered me to do. But I was able to sit back, watch the game some, grow, help my boys grow up. I had three boys at the time; they were growing up, were traveling around the you know baseball tournaments like any other parent, basketball tournaments. And so I felt like I laid an unbelievable foundation with those boys. And I knew if I would have went right back into coaching right away, they weren't going to know me. I was going to be gone all the time. And I knew how I was. Once I start doing it, I'm going to be all in. And so that means you're at the ballpark a lot. You're, you're working. So I think the smartest thing I did was, was to take that five years off. And I know that's hard for a lot of guys. The Yankees made that easy for me because they wanted me to come back, but allowed me that time to – to stay away. And then I started slowly getting back into going to spring training with Joe and all those guys. Um, and being able to have effect with guys, you know, being able to be successful with guys, just helping them in spring training, talking to them. I could, I could tell they would, you know, they'd want to talk later on about something that we talk about hitting wise. And I was able to get through and, and help them. And that made me feel good. So you have to turn the page as a coach right? The, the plane's over. It can't be about you. It's got to all be about them. And I think that's the one thing I, I don't ever want to forget as a manager or a coach. I'm here to help players, right? If they have success and improve and get better, then I'm doing my job. I can't, I can't be in it to say, oh, this guy's a really good hitting coach or this guy can really manage or whatever. It has to be about, for me, helping the players grow, get better, uh, and that, for me, is my reward. Don, I think for all of our listeners, especially those in the Northeast, and very uh, familiar with your story, um, getting a, an opportunity to move to L.A. with Joe Torre, things not working out initially as a manager in New York. But I want to bring you to that moment when you finally did become a manager and how, in your mind, it compared putting on that uniform in that capacity as opposed to looking at someone else in the office who was the manager and you're a player? It, it was a learning experience for sure. And, you know, Mark said that, you know, I, I did know that I wanted to manage, but I wasn't really in a hurry to do it. Um, you know, working in spring training and then working on the bench a couple of years in New York, um, I, I knew it, I didn't want to do it in a hurry. But managing that first time in L.A. was really uh, nerve wracking for me, really, because I, I was not comfortable. I'd never managed before. I mean, I was comfortable in who, who I am and what I wanted to do, 
but there's so much to it that you don't really know. So I was fortunate to have a really good bench coach, Trey Hillman, who had kind of been all through baseball in different capacities, really kind of guide me. And then we walked, I walked into Tim Wallach, another great baseball guy uh, who who've helped me grow. Right. So those first couple of years, you're not comfortable um, just with everything, right? There's a lot of stuff you have to do. And the, and the relationship in the front office is always different. And that's the one thing Joe would always kind of teach me and different things and, and show me different stuff. But the one thing he never really shared was that relationship between the general manager and the manager, because that's a, that's a personal relationship that's got to stay, that's got to stay tight. And so that was the learning part where that relationship between the manager and the front office and how we, how do we mold this all together? Uh, so that was a big learning experience for me. Donnie, I watched it firsthand. Um, the, the relationship you had with Joe Torrey, uh, how did he set you up for success as a manager and uh, what was his advice? Uh, you know, not, not too much like straight advice. Um, I think just watching, kind of like anything else, right? You learn by example and watching Joe, how he handled the locker room, how he dealt with players uh, was really fit right with what, who I was, you know, Joe, you see him on the bench, he's quiet. And I knew as a player and and you know, Mm -hmm. that manager's going ballistic every time there's an air made or something happens and he's reacting to that. Those guys on the bench, are going to talk to those guys on the field. So now when they're playing, everything I do gets multiplied. So if I make a reaction uh, to a guy just because he makes a mistake, it's going to be on TV, right? And I'm going to have to answer that question later. So I learned quickly to keep that keep that flat and then deal with it later, deal with the guy later. Uh, so taught me the length of the season, how important that was. Right. And I think as a player, I understood that part pretty well. And then confrontation and don't let anything fester. I think that was the biggest thing that because um, that's hard, right, for people. You don't want to have to confront things and to have to like go to a guy and say, hey, something that's uncomfortable. Right. You don't like doing that as a coach. You're kind of like buddies. Right. The manager does that as a manager. You got to pull that. You got to pull that trigger. So. You know, I'll tell you an example. Like, uh, I had Robbie Cano as a hitter, and Robbie was young, but Robbie could really hit. But like all young guys, he was struggling, and he was hitting the ball hard, and he just wasn't getting any hits, and he was kind of dragging his head. And Joe, you know, sitting in his office, we'd go through the lineup or whatever, and he'd say, well, how's everybody going? i said, everybody's pretty good. I said, Robbie's a little bit down, right, you know. And he goes, he goes go get him. So it was instant, right? Pulls, I go get Robbie, pulls him in. How's it going, Robbie? Um, he goes, hey, you just keep hitting the ball hard. You're doing great. You look good at the play. You're hitting the ball hard. Everything's gonna, it's gonna fall for you. I mean, Robbie walked out of there like he was the greatest player, right? So I knew that right there showed me you got You can't let this guy just struggle. And if there's an issue in your clubhouse, you got to deal with it, right? And I think those are the things I learned quickly that you better deal with it or it's gonna fester, and then it becomes a huge problem. You know, Don, your your time in L.A. well chronicled. You're now in uh, the Marlins, same gig, except now there are two Yankee captains at play on the field, basically one of them in the front office with uh, Derek Jeter and yourself. When you look down the road, where do you see Don Mattingly? Back on the field or back in the front office or fishing somewhere in Indiana? 
you know, I don't know. I, I enjoy my time, you know, away from the game. Uh, I, you know, I, I feel great. You know, I'm, I'm 59 years old, just turned 59. So, I, but I feel great. I got a young kid. I got a five-year-old boy. Um, so, you know, I feel good. So I, I'd like to keep, keep going for a little bit. And after that, I'd like to be involved in the game in some way. I feel like, I feel like as a, the hitting just always intrigues me because I feel like I see it as good as anybody. And not, you know, everybody, there's a lot of guys that see it good. I feel like I'm really good at seeing it. And that's one of the things you always like, I always like to be involved with because I love seeing guys hit and I know I can help them. As a manager, you got to back off a little bit because you don't have the time to do it. But I could see myself in some type of role that would be involved with an organization's hitting, um, maybe overseeing it. You know, there's so many different roles now, but that's kind of an area that I think I would like to roll to. Well, the game is lucky to have you in it still, and as long as they can take it, I know they will. Don, thanks so much for the time. I appreciate appreciate being on with you guys. I always love coming to San Diego and seeing Mark out there. Yeah. Every once in a while, I get to see my kid. So, uh, but San Diego, man, what a place. Worst oh. places, right? Yeah, <laughs> Definitely right. Well, best of luck to you down the road. Don Mattingly, our guest on this edition of Major League Beginnings. Folks, we had a blast. Hope you did, too. Go ahead, if you would, and smash that subscribe button anywhere you usually download your podcast. You can pick your platform, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify. It doesn't matter to us. We're just glad you're aboard, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.